Welcome to the Let's Play Music Podcast. I'm your host, Shelley Solberg, creator and founder of the Let's Play Music Curriculum. We're glad you're tuning in. Welcome everyone to today's podcast. And I am delighted to be here with Mr. Christopher Sutton. And I feel extra fancy today because he's joining us from London. So you get to enjoy not only his expertise and his experience, but also his accent. This is going to be very exciting. <laughs> Gosh, if that's the highlight of the episode, we're really in trouble. Not at all. But I did want to mention that it was going to feel extra fancy. So us Americans appreciate that. So um, Christopher and I connected paths about uh, probably six or seven years ago. Uh, Christopher reached out to me and just said, hey, I'm, I noticed that you uh, have a Solfege-based program uh, for children, and I would like to learn more about it. And for those of you that have seen our first episode, you know that I was drowning at the time, and I I wanted to reach out to Christopher, but was unable to. And um, then we finally connected about two years ago when he actually asked me to be uh, a guest on his podcast, uh, Musicality Now. But the business that he is the founder of is actually called Musical You. And this is where musicians can discover and develop their natural musicality. Christopher was born and raised in London, and he lives there with his wife and daughters and far too many instruments, he says. I would love to see a picture of that. That is very <laughs> cool. <laughs> very cool. Tell us more, Christopher, about what you do. Sure, I'd love to. And first, let me just say it's such an honor and a delight to be a guest on your show, Shirley. You know I'm such a fan of what you do at Let's Play Music. And Thank you. Yeah, it's always great to have the chance to chat. I suppose my company is one of those that was born of my own personal struggle and frustrations. You know, there's companies where people see a business opportunity and launch into it, and there's others where someone just kind of accidentally finds something snowballing. And mine was definitely in the latter category. So mm -hmm. I grew up as the geeky kid in the class, very nerdy, scientific, mathematical, but actually my passion was always for music. And so from I think probably age six, I started my first kind of proper instrument lessons. And over the next 10, 15 years, I learned cello, clarinet, saxophone, electric guitar, piano. I sang a lot. I did barbershop groups and church choirs and, mm -hmm. And looking back, it's funny because I was seen as a very musical person. And like of all the kids in the class, I would be the one trudging in with my, you know, three instrument cases in the morning because I had those lessons that day. But I always really didn't feel like it. I loved music and I enjoyed learning it and I did well. Like I passed the exams and I'd do a good performance when the time came. And certainly I enjoyed collaborating in groups, but I really didn't feel musical. And I just mm -hmm. kind of put that down to nature and... I could see one or two guys in my school who, you know, they were composing and they were improvising and they could just kind of do anything. And I looked at them and I was mm -hmm. like, okay, so they're, they're real musicians. They're the proper musicians. And I'm just going to do my thing because I quite enjoy it. And, and you're on the outer circle, right? You're feeling, I, I don't belong here. Exactly. A, a bit like a fraud or an imposter throughout. And even, you know, you pass the exam, but you kind of feel like you must have cheated somehow or you do a great performance, but you know it wasn't really that good. So anyway, that was kind of the story of my musical life. And I'm sorry to say I got a bit disillusioned by the time I went to university and I couldn't I couldn't give it up completely, but I kind of dabbled in blues harmonica and I learned bass for a bit, but I, I wasn't really taking lessons or in groups. And I certainly didn't do music as my degree because I, I just kind of felt like that was a, a hobby for me. I didn't have anything more than that. And so it was really kind of mind blowing 
in my 20s when I discovered this thing called ear training. And this, sorry, I'm taking a very roundabout route to the answer to your question, but- We're loving of, it, this is great. <laughs> this is kind of where the story of the company starts, which is, I'll give the shortest version of this story I can, but the, the bottom line is there is this area called ear training, which anyone who studies music at university or goes to a conservatory or really takes it seriously will find kind of alongside music theory. So everyone's very focused on their instrument and where do you put your fingers and can I do this sheet music at full speed without mistakes? And then there's that music theory thing you're kind of obliged to do. And ear training is kind of similar. You know, there's always mm -hmm. some aspect of it, but for the vast majority of music students, they either don't do it or they're forced to do it a little bit and no one really sees the point. So even for me, sure. back in those school days, there was a section on the exam of ear skills. And so I would have to name an interval or clap back a rhythm. And right. last minute, right before the exam, day before, my instrument teacher would be like, we better do some of that ear training stuff. <laughs> and that, that, oh, that was literally the limit of my experience with it. And But then in my 20s, actually found my way back to it. And the bottom line is I discovered that if you put in the effort and you could get past that very kind of dry, abstract music theory presentation of it, oh my gosh, it was really quite amazing. Because for the first time, with a bit of this ear training stuff, I found I understood how someone could play something by ear. I was able to hear the notes and kind of hear the relationship between them. And I could understand how you could improve your rhythm by doing this kind of ear training exercise. And I could pick up my instrument and start to actually express my own idea, improvising, because my ears kind of knew what was going on. And that was mind blowing for me for two reasons. First, because it showed me I could actually do some of that stuff that I always assumed needed a gift or talent. And second, because I couldn't fathom how it was such a well-guarded secret you know this was something that could transform someone's musical life and I was kind of kicking myself that I spent 15 or 20 years not knowing it and I couldn't quite understand yes. like why is this not front and center why wasn't someone showing me this from day one and so mm -hmm. as you can probably tell by the way I tell the story I got quite kind of energetic about it. I got kind of not angry but kind of resentful a little bit and kind of baffled mm -hmm. and kind of passionate and being a geeky guy, and this was around, what was it then? I suppose like 2008, 2009, the iPhone was just coming out and allowing apps on the iPhone. And so I had a hobby project making an iPhone app for ear training. And I put it on the app wow. store and that was far more popular than I ever expected. It brought in a bit of money. And so I started to think, oh my gosh, maybe there could be some kind of side project here. And over the next few years, it just kind of snowballed from there. And we were taking the attitude that this is really powerful stuff. If only it was presented in a way that actually made it fun and accessible for people. And so the company at that point was called Easy Ear Training because I felt that was the missing part, was making it easy. And we spent four or five years developing all kinds of apps and eBooks and training albums and one online course to help people develop these skills and specifically to help adults because I felt like that was there must be a lot of people like me who had dedicated themselves to music but were really missing this. Certainly. So that, that's kind of the story of the company. And then 2015, we did a big rebrand and changed our product offering, basically taking all the good stuff we'd made, but putting it in a single membership program. And we launched that as Musical U. And uh, yeah, that's, that's where the company came from. That's fascinating. And I do think, Christopher, that you represent a lot of frustrated musicians. In our program with uh, Training the Children, I would say 90% of the parents that come through our program say, what? I could have had ear training when I was young and learned like my child is learning. And they are a bit resentful and frustrated and think, why didn't anyone tell me that ear training and theory 
are accessible and fun and they really do improve your musicianship so um i think that's a wonderful angle that you have taken into your business because uh, like me you carry your passion into your business this is this is not just uh numbers this is not just something that you do because it puts bread on the table you truly believe and invest it and love it because of your personal story that's that's fantastic i love knowing more of your personal history thanks for sharing that with us and i i want to know tell me well let me back up just a little bit about a month ago i'm scrolling through my social media and i saw this ad for musicality now and it started with have you ever seen a musician who seems to just know their way around a keyboard or a guitar and then you said let me tell you the secret they have studied a kodai based training and i i just thought oh christopher sutton you are brilliant this is so wonderful the way that you have now made this really accessible and helped everybody to understand that this is the key that unlocks unlocks musicality but tell us what you have seen and you kind of explained this in your your personal story but tell us more about the struggles that you see um with adults who aren't able to play as well as they'd like absolutely yeah and i think i think the first thing i'd say is that at musical u we started out with a very ear training mentality because of the way the company mm -hmm. had developed but part of that rebrand and reinvention of the company was to move from talking about ear training to talking more broadly about musicality and that's why that's the name of our podcast mm -hmm. these days because there's this whole area of things and a lot of it comes down to your ears and your brain but there's other inner skills things like performance confidence or being able to talk about music with other people or being able to collaborate or being able to compose or create or write your own music there's a lot of things that are not instrument skills but form part of being a well-rounded confident expressive and fulfilled musician and we kind of umbrella all of that under the term musicality because i think it kind of instinctively mm -hmm. makes sense to people and mm -hmm. when we talk about some of the things that go in that umbrella like i just said performing collaborating jamming improvising but also playing by ear learning new instruments quickly playing more than one instrument understanding music theory there's all of these inner skills that people don't really realize are available to them or possible for them and so really our mission with the company is to show people that everything we think is musicality it's all boiling down to learnable skills and you know there's one exercise we have that kind of has you do a self complete checklist of your musicality and i think there are 16 or 18 skills on there all of which are concrete and learnable and almost all of which someone would say that's you know that's a gift that's talent you know being able to sing like that right. must take talent being able to hear a song on the radio right. then play it on your guitar oh that takes talent being able to step up and improvise on sax that must be a talented musician and there's this whole kind of myth mm -hmm. around talent and i won't go on my soapbox rant for too long but just to say our mission really is to show people no all of those things are learnable and they're all learnable by you so that video you would have seen probably on facebook or youtube it, you know yes it was about a particular course we have that's based on kodai but it's also part of this bigger message that musicians are capable of vastly more than they think they are and i'll put it a bit differently i would say music learners are capable of vastly more than they think they are because honestly a lot of the people that come to us they know they are learning music but they barely consider themselves a musician they'd feel sheepish about calling themselves that because that's you know right. that guy's really a musician he's making money with it or he went to music school right. i'm just a hobbyist right 
So we, we yeah. sometimes call it music learners just because we realize not everyone's even ready to call themselves a musician. And so to, to circle back, the simplest way we like to describe it is, yes, there's this big umbrella of musicality, but given that most people are starting out thinking, I will learn guitar or I will learn saxophone, I will go to my guitar or saxophone teacher, he will give me some sheet music, he will tell me where to put my fingers and what to do with my mouth or whatever, and I will play the music mm -hmm. as written and I will learn to play that instrument. For us, that's one of three things, and we call it the trifecta to show that actually there's your fingers or your instrument skills, but there's also what's going on in your head, your understanding of music theory. Do you know how music works, what the rules are, what the concepts are? And there's what's going on in your ears. Do you have that kind of instinct for understanding what you hear or producing what you imagine you hear in your head? And for us, that's, like a, that's right. a triangle that is often extremely unbalanced <laughs> and leaning towards the instrument skills. And a lot of what we do is kind of looking at that trifecta and asking, like, how can we join up those three dots and how can we rebalance things a bit so that people actually have the inside out understanding of what they're doing rather than what happens to a lot of people. And you said, why do people struggle? A lot of people end up, even if they get very good at their instrument, they feel a bit like a robot. They feel like they're mechanically reproducing music and it's never that fulfilling or satisfying because all they, all the only real opportunity is to play like a robot or make mistakes. <laughs> and so for us, right. rebalancing that trifecta is about bringing the heart of music back into it so that you feel like you are playing the music and what you are producing is part of you. Oh, that's so awesome. And I think you're right. You've just hit the nail on the head with calling that trifecta musicality. That's wonderful. I love that you've come up with that term and that that's what you've called your company now because it definitely does communicate to everyone that that's what you're going for. And I'm glad that we got your more in-depth uh, description of what musicality is. So thank you for that. Will you now, I would love for you to tell me what Solfege is and how you feel that helps to unlock the inner ear and even how it interplays with music theory. Can you explain to us what about Solfege? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I'll feel a bit funny doing so because I know you are such an expert yourself, Shelley. And um, I know we share a, a common love of this particular framework. And, For sure. and so Solfege is one part of that that course and that method we were just talking about, the Kodai method. It's a big part of that, but it's actually it's an independent thing that comes up all over the place. And I know you make a lot of use of it in Let's Play Music. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the same story again, to be honest, for me in that, you know, I had this trajectory where I did a lot of music and then I discovered ear training in the same way I did a lot of ear training and I even built a company around it. And then I discovered mm -hmm. Solfege and you might hear me call it Solfer along the way. I apologize if so, and I'll explain in a moment why, but for me, it was a relatively late discovery. So I spent probably seven or eight years doing ear training pretty seriously, getting really good at ear training exercises, but I still couldn't really do a great job of playing by ear or improvising. And there was this weird thing where even with the apps I made, I could ace the apps. Like I could tell you a minor seventh from a major third at the drop of a hat in any key all over the place. Like no problem. I could pass the drills. And as far as the textbooks I had found or the courses or the old CD training I had based my own ear training on, as far as I understood from that, you learn the intervals, you get really good at this kind of drill or, you know, the triads or whatever you're working on. You get really good at answering the questions and then you can do all that stuff. And for me, that wasn't quite the case. Like it was, it certainly was kind of the case. And as I said, that's why I got excited about this stuff, but I still, like, I wasn't super fluid. I wasn't super confident and I couldn't quite figure out why that was. And 
the long and short of it is I kind of stumbled my way into discovering the Solfege framework. And it's funny, if you look back at, at easier training material, we have over a thousand articles online and they go back for a decade. And you can kind of see for a long time, we were very focused on intervals and this is the method. And it is, it's a valid method. It's a very good method. It certainly sure. has its basis. Right. But what, what happened that was funny was the more I got into telling people how to learn intervals, I was looking at the different ways you could do it. And one of those ways, as I saw it, was this Solfege thing that I understood intellectually, but I'd never really done. And so for me, it was just, oh, that's another way you could do some of this inter interval training stuff. And it really wasn't until I discovered for myself the Kodai approach, which is long established and well proven and goes back, I think, nearly 100 years now. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of my gateway into really understanding Solfege, which is funny because I, you know, I had at that point a company that anyone would look at and say was, you know, really knew their stuff on the ear training side. And there was this whole area I just hadn't quite tapped into. And so anyway, for me, I, I took some Kodai classes one-to-one -one for my own personal professional development. And this Solfa thing really seemed to make a difference. And I was able to move quite quickly with it because I had the kind of mental frameworks and ear skills to build on. But for anyone who hasn't come across this before, it's basically a very different way of looking at the same thing. So when I say you can learn intervals and play by ear, what you're doing there is a form of relative pitch ear training. You're looking at the pitch relationship between notes relative to one, one to the other. And so you are naming the distance between the notes. And that's very good and very useful. And it builds this overall sense of relative pitch and the ability to judge the distances. And that feeds into doing things like improvising and playing by ear. The catch is you're always just doing one note to the next note. And as you can probably already imagine when I say it like that, it's really hard to do that fast enough to keep up with a melody or to improvise a melody. And so what I was finding was I could do any interval, but then to use it to play a melody or improvise a melody was always quite tricky. And you could get better at it, but it was quite tricky. The magical thing about Solfege was it flipped that on its head. So it was using this same kind of mental pitch ruler, if you will, like this ability to judge yes. the distances. But everything is anchored to the tonic, the, the root note of the key or the scale. And that may sound like a small thing, but it's actually magical. And I don't use that word lightly because the trick of it is that's how we already hear music. So whether you've done any musical training or not, if you hear a song on the radio and the DJ has pitch shifted it into a completely different key, you don't care. You still hear the same song. If someone sings happy birthday and they start on a note that isn't even a note from the keyboard, it's somewhere in between. You don't care. You still know it's happy birthday. And that's how our brain is working on relative pitch. And it's specifically doing a lot of it based on the tonic, on the key. And so what's magical about sulfur is it gives you a conscious framework for leveraging all of that skill you already have. So we already kind of understand instinctively how music works. And when you do a little bit of effort to put these names on the notes, and I'll talk more about that in a minute, you find you can very quickly do these things like playing by ear and improvising because it's the way music naturally works. When we hear a melody, our brain isn't really going from one note to the next in terms of intervals. It's actually hearing everything relative to the key. And I don't want to oversimplify, but the bottom line is sulfur is a much better match for how our brain is naturally interpreting the music. And that makes it a really great shortcut to being able to do all of these exciting things we want to in music. Wow, that's a great explanation. I, I've spent a lot of my life explaining what Solfege is. And, and I haven't quite done it in that way. 
And that was brilliant. Thank you for reminding us that we already hear things in relation to dough, to tonic anyway. That's the way our brains are wired. So this simply, you know, sulfage, sulfagio, sulfa, all the same term for the same system of do, re, mi, fa, sol, do. This gives us labels for those seven pitches in the scale. It's just a label. We already knew that bum, bum, bum was mi, re, do. But that gives us a label to be able to speak to someone or think in my brain, oh, I have to think me to do now, me do. So I, I really like that explanation that you've given us. So will you tell us what are some of the adult approaches? And you've kind of explained this um, as you've talked through intervals, but what are some things that you have seen or experienced as Solfege has unlocked musicality for you? or those that you know, your clients? Sure, I'd love to. So I think one thing to mention just before we go on is, you know, I said at the beginning, I might call it sulfur by mistake. And I know a lot of listeners will have come across this idea before. What we find with our members and our students at Musical U is a lot of them have heard of this do, re, mi thing. And even if it's just in the sound of music, they know there's something to do with music and do, re, mi, and it's meant to help, but actually, it's tricky for two reasons. One is that it's often just associated with children. And obviously you guys do a fantastic job of that at Let's Play Music. For us, you can imagine at Musical U where we specialize in adults, it can be quite tricky to get across, no, this isn't just for kids. Like this isn't a toy. This is actually serious musicianship stuff. So one thing is right. that they have a preconceived notion that this is just kind of a, a play thing and it's really not. The other is that part of the reason we have multiple names for it is that it does date back centuries and in different forms in different countries and by different names and it's left us with one really big sticking point which is worth clarifying which is that there are actually two systems that use do re mi and all of those names for the notes one is solvege in the way we've just talked about it which is called movable do because you move do to be the tonic of whatever key you're in it's always that root note and that is often also called sulfur, which is why that's the word we use for it. Solfege also gets used for fixed do solfege, which means that the note C is always do. So even if you're in a completely different key, even if the note C doesn't feature in your music, that is do. And it's hard to emphasize just how different that makes it. It may seem like a small difference, but to my mind, fixed do solfege, it has almost nothing to do with what we've been talking about. Well, and the, the way that we use it to explain to people is that really, if you're using the fixed do method, it's nothing more or different than calling CC and DD. You're simply using a different label for a fixed note. So C is do, or do is C, or C is C. It's just a label. It has nothing to do with pitch relationships. It's simply a labeling method. A hundred percent. And you, if you want to call the notes Bob, Jeff, and Dan, that's fine by me. You know, I, I, there's nothing wrong with fixed dose solfege. And particularly in some countries, France, for example, that's just the names of the notes. And they don't really know the CDE. Right. They just, to them, it's do, re, mi. And, and so right. there's nothing wrong with that. The only thing that's wrong is that people mix the two up. And so they then get very confused when we talk about using it to play by ear, because obviously calling the notes C, D, and E doesn't help you play by ear. So why would calling them do, re, mi help you play by ear? And, and so it can be quite confusing for people. So I just wanted to kind of hash that out because 
it can be a sticking point. If you go and you search for solfege or you hear someone talking about it, it's really important to know which of the two are they talking about, because if it's one, then it can help with all of these amazing musicality things. And if it's the other, it, it's just kind of a, a small detail of the naming convention used. So what we were talking about is movable dose solfege or sulfur. And what we found works really well with adults once you kind of get past that, is it for children? And are we talking about the fixed dose thing? What works really well is, funnily enough, to do two things. One is, as much as we can, we try and encourage our adults to behave a bit like children. So having just said it's not for kids, or it's not just for kids, rather, we find it's utterly essential for them to be willing to take what's called a beginner's mind to it, which is a phrase from the Buddhist tradition. And it's the idea that you always have something to learn. You're going to be open to learning something new. And when people come to us at Musical U, they often want to learn these skills, but they come sometimes from years or decades of instrument learning and bits of music theory and not to overstate it, but they kind of feel like they know all that stuff and they just want the ear training to add on to that. And it's really important with something like Sulphur that can fundamentally rework how you process music. It's really, it's really important to be willing to go back to basics. And so one thing I love to do, for example, is in about five minutes, you can do an exercise that demonstrates to someone that they can play by ear using Sulphur. And what you do is you just start with the first three notes of the scale, do, re, mi, you do a few little drills around that, and then you play a melody with just those three notes. And suddenly, magically, they can play it on their instrument. And it's very exciting and it kind of blows their mind a little bit a lot of the time because it's something they thought was just impossible. And even more so when you tell them, well, you've kind of just mastered the first three notes, there's only seven, <laughs> you know, in the major scale. So it's not right. that much further to add these other ones to your toolkit. So that's great, but it does require them to be willing to do an exercise where you're only going to use three notes and kind of suspend your disbelief that that simple little melody is still meaningful to work with. And so in a lot of our material, we're kind of rebuilding things from the ground up. And that course you alluded to, it's called Foundations of a Musical Mind. And it, the, maybe one of the most amazing things about it is it works for someone who is right at the beginning of their musical journey or is a professional or hobbyist for decades, like someone who could be through and through practiced in the art and craft of music, but hasn't done this kind of stuff before. The same material, because it starts from basics and because we encourage people to take a beginner's mind, it can very quickly have the same transformational effect on either category of person. So that's the thing that works really well is just helping adults not be adults for a little while and helping them reconnect with music in a really fundamental way. The second thing that I'd be remiss if I didn't mention is singing. So, you know, we've talked about naming the notes, but actually in, in learning sulfur, it's almost essential that you are singing the notes with the sulfur names. You can technically just yes. about do it if you just listen to drills the way a lot of people do ear training. But even if you don't consider yourself a singer, if you're willing to use your voice, it like light speed difference in how quickly you'll learn it and how much you'll internalize right. it. And so, again, this is something where with adults, we find there's a bit of a barrier there because maybe they were told, told they were tone deaf or they're not confident in their singing voice. So we always also provide training on how do you sing in tune because it's not that hard to learn. It doesn't take very long. And once you can right. sing in tune, you've got everything you need to use your voice in that way. And so for us, that's a huge part of it is just can we get them singing? Because once they're singing, we can do the sulfur stuff. And once they do the sulfur stuff, they'll be away. That's amazing. I love hearing that your initial approach is just using three notes. So is that, you, you called that, tell me the name of the first course. So in the Foundations of a Musical Mind, of course. 
foundations of a musical mind. And so they're just using three notes on whatever instrument they choose? Yeah, so in fact, the foundations course in particular isn't very instrument based. We do it all with your body kinesthetically. It's using the Kodai hand signs and it's using singing. And we have some supplementary material to help you apply it on your instrument, but it's basically instrument agnostic. We do a different training where I really do that kind of step-by-step play-by-ear exercise on the spot for people, where it is kind of bring along your instrument. Here's what your three notes are going to be. Give it a try. Wow, that's fascinating. And then you said, once you've done this and you've begun to experience that unlocking power of solfege in your mind, and you're beginning to, as you said, internalize, and you can suddenly hear and really figure out how these three notes work together. Um, then then what is the what's the sequence for adding the other notes? How do you do so that? So it works a bit differently in Musical U membership versus that foundations course. And so in membership, we it is kind of designed to be compatible with other material we have on intervals and on scales and on playing melodies by ear. And so I believe there the sequence would be to introduce the other notes of the pentatonic scale and then extend the full major scale. Right. In the foundations course, it's a really elegant design. We The course was put together by a lady called Anne Molesky, who is a particularly experienced in syllabus design and a through and through Kodai expert. And so she came in to build this course for us and she came up with this really amazing learning sequence where it kind of goes back and forth between pitch and rhythm. So you do a week on pitch, a week on rhythm, okay. a week on pitch, a week on rhythm. And each of the pitch modules adds one or more, one or two more notes into your arsenal and the rhythms modules do the same for the Kodai rhythm syllables, which let you do the same kind of stuff, but with rhythm. So hearing it and transcribing it or knowing in your head what the, the names or durations of the notes would be. So you are in your um, musical you, you are also using Kodai rhythm syllables. In both cases, yeah, just in a bit of a different yes. way. Great, okay. And and the other thing that's that's fascinating to me is you said you add the two other notes of the pentatonic, so you're adding so and then la, or do you follow the Kodai sequence then after mi, re, do, then you're adding so mm -hmm. and then la, and then you're gonna put in fa and then ti, so you're gonna follow Kodai sequencing that. Yeah, way. so for us, in fact, that comes in the part two course. So foundations is six weeks, and actually getting everyone really okay. au fait with just the pentatonic scale in six weeks works very mm -hmm. well. And then the part okay. two fills in those other mm -hmm. missing notes. Wow, that's fascinating. But I think it's interesting that you start with the mi, re, do. Do you want to tell me why you start with mi, re, do rather than the mi, so? Like, like yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that. So if you went to a Kodai class, certainly here in the UK and I believe in the US as well, mi, so is the standard starting point. And the reason is it, they call it the children's interval. Na, 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 na. That's kind of what children do in the playground. Those are two notes from the pentatonic scale, but they're not the first two notes in terms of the scale. They're actually that interval between me and so. And so if you're trying to get children to sing along or to tune in their ear to what's going on, that is a great combination of two notes to start with. With adults and decided to do it a bit differently for a couple of reasons. I think the first is that, as we've talked about, we're kind of needing to slot in with what they already know of music and their kind of adult intellectualism, needing to understand why things work the way they do. And there's certainly a part of it that right. people are coming in, they would expect to start with the first notes of the scale, and they kind of already have an idea of what a scale is, compared with children who are just like, let's sing a song. So it's a little bit because it fits more into what people might expect or be familiar or comfortable with. But it's also right. that 
we come to it with a much vaster repertoire of musical experience and knowledge in our heads as adults. So with children, that's the starting point because they, they've heard music, of course, and with Kodai in particular, it's very much rooted in the folk and cultural traditions of the country the child is raised in. So it's working with the heritage and whatever context they're in musically to design the curriculum. And so that they're kind of starting not from scratch, but from very little and those kind of playground call and response and mommy, it's kind of, it makes sense. With adults, we've spent anywhere right. from like 16 to 60 to 90 years immersed in this amazing, mostly diatonic music. We're very well-trained in the scale and we're all very familiar with me, Ray, do, Mary had a little lamb, right from there on through all mm -hmm. kinds of music. And it's one of the things that's really fun in Foundations is people start to recognize these little patterns in sulfur, like me, Ray, do. And then the next day on the radio, they notice the song often ends with me, Ray, do. And so we've kind of got all this vocabulary already. And that mi re do pattern for an adult is extremely familiar. So it makes a natural starting point just as much as that miso does for children. That's great. I love hearing that. Um, and I, you know, when you said a minute ago, you said that when we have that tonic and when you can feel the dough and you know where tonic is, um, every pitch that we're learning as musicians, it, as you play a scale, as you're working within a, a diatonic framework, course we're not talking about anything atonal or anything like that right now we're talking about you know western tonal music um that dough you called it magical and when you know where dough is when you can feel where dough is in relation to where any of the other pitches are when you can sense the tonic pole when you can sense dough that's where the magic is so i think it's important that not only you are starting with mi re dough because it's intellectually more appropriate for adults which i agree with you're absolutely right. Also, because we're acknowledging that dough, dough is with us, dough is here. And, um, you know, knowing where dough is and beginning with the two that are closest to it, um, I think is really powerful. I've never heard of an approach that just starts with me, Ray Doe. And, and I think it's just awesome. And in the children's one, you know, the, the, so me, the children's interval is such the dough is implied. No one ever says that to the children, but they're thinking in the key of dough when they sing me so. Um, so I, I think that it's really cool that your program starts with the mi re dough and says, um, yes, you know what a major scale is. You've played lots of them, but but we need you to know where dough is and we're gonna introduce you to two of its neighbors so that you can really understand what we're talking about here. And I'm imagining adults who have heard the transposing, it's this magical thing. When they learn mi, re, do, and then they transpose it, they go, oh, it was just three notes and I just transposed it, no big deal. Because you've simplified it to three notes. Absolutely, yeah. And that's something we haven't really unpacked here today, but you know, the whole thing of relative pitch we, we talked about how it's kind of natural. It's how our brain naturally understands music and how we don't care what key the song on the radio is in today or whether someone's covered it in a different key. If we're if singing, we're singing right? or if we're listening. <laughs> but as soon as it's down on sheet music, suddenly it's a different world. You know, if you put it in a different key, literally every note is different. All the names of the notes, all the things you do with your fingers are different. And that means something like transposition for the typical music learner is really overwhelming and scary and complicated and how could you possibly do that without sitting down with a reference sheet and an hour to spare? But when you have this framework of relative pitch through sulfur, 
it lets you just kind of transplant from one key to another because you understand all of those internal relationships and suddenly something like a key signature is just kind of, oh yeah, by the way, that's what our dough is today. And Solfege is what helps it to remain constant. And it, it really, it's just a magical thing for musicians who have thought that transposing was, you know, a vast domain, outer space, and they could never possibly understand it. Solfege gets people to say, I get it now because it lines up with no matter what key you're in. So I, that's, I bet that is really rewarding for you to see these adult clients of yours really unlock what you had to discover for yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, those I never thought I could do that moments are always a highlight for us when we see one of our students mm -hmm. have that kind of breakthrough. Mm -hmm. That's great. Oh my gosh, I've loved talking with you about all these things, Christopher. This is just amazing. And obviously everyone out there knows that Let's Play Music specializes in children, but I knew that what Christopher was doing was doing it for adults. And I just think it's important to connect with Christopher and with Musical You because we do have so many parents that come to us and they say, this is amazing. Why didn't I learn about this sooner? Well, Christopher Sutton is mad. <laughs> yeah, likewise, I was saying before we hit record, when we have people come and ask us what they should do with their children if they're in the US, our first answer is let's play music. <laughs> Go check it out. Right. These are wonderful approaches. And, and really, it's because our philosophical beliefs and foundations are the same. And that is that ear is essential. The theory is essential. The performance and articulation on your instrument are essential. I love that you've called it the trifecta. But the key element is that solfege unlocks all of that. Solfege is really the thing that... Um, puts them all together because with solfege you can better understand the theory knowing that in any key the tonic chord is do mi so in any key doesn't matter you just have to figure out what mi is and what do is and you know you can analyze and construct and do anything you need to with that foundation of solfege so it's it's just amazing and powerful and that's fantastic to talk to you about that okay so what would be your final concluding statement to adults well, first off, if you have kids, bring them to a Let's Play music class. Apart from Thank that, <laughs> I think I'd just repeat what I said earlier, which is really, you know, the number one message we want to get out there, which is whatever you might have been told about musical talent or gifts for music, whatever you might have thought was possible for you due to your nature or your DNA or your upbringing, the reality is everything we admire in the most amazing musicians, it all comes down to learnable skills. And a lot of those skills can be learned much, much quicker than you probably think is possible. And so particularly if you've been learning an instrument, but even if you haven't started down that path, you owe it to yourself to explore those other two bits of the trifecta, as it were, and to figure out what is available to you in your own musicality. What are you really capable of and what could you become as a musician? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's that's wonderful. Some really hopeful words to aspiring musicians out there who felt they were in the outer circle. And you have what unlocks that circle and lets them in. So that's really, really a wonderful thing that you're doing. I appreciate everyone who's listened today. And we hope that you have learned a better way to be in tune and especially in tune now understanding the power of Solfege with Christopher Sutton. Thank you so much, Shelley. Thank you. Have a great day there, although it's <laughs> nighttime. Bye-bye.